Hello folks and welcome back to another episode of Amanda Reed's Becoming Sister Wives, the story of an unconventional marriage. Uh, today we are cha- tackling chapter 6. Um, this is Janelle's chapter, so we're going to follow Janelle's story um, from where we left off with her last time, which was when she got married to Cody. Um, very excited to get her side of the story on the Mary situation um, and to see how she felt about Robin. So stay tuned. Here we go. Chapter 6 Janelle I was enchanted with the idea of polygamy when I married Cody. I was in love with my new faith, with the possibilities of love, family, and sisterhood it offered. I imagined that my new sister-wife, Mary, would immediately become my best friend. I believed that Cody would have no trouble navigating between us. I was so taken with the storybook notion of happily ever after that I was completely unprepared for the reality that awaited me. Immediately after moving in with Mary and Cody, I began to lose my sense of self. While I never once doubted that I'd made the right decisions in choosing both Cody and my new faith, I struggled to find my way in my new life and lifestyle. When I was young, I lacked self-esteem. I struggled with body image and didn't excel in any particular area in school. As I grew up and graduated from high school, I slowly started to find my way in the world. I realized what was important to me and what I valued. I discovered that I enjoy working. I knew that in addition to having children, having a career would be one of the things that would matter most to me and bring me a sense of security and happiness. I have always been happiest when I've devoted myself to my work. Although I wasn't sure what career path to follow, human resources, accounting, bookkeeping, I was determined to advance myself in the workplace. Especially when my first marriage failed, working gave me inner strength and confidence. After Cody and I returned from our honeymoon, I moved into the guest bedroom of his and Mary's house. In no time, I came to feel like a guest who had overstayed her welcome. I felt like I'd bodged not just into their house, but into their marriage. Mary and I went from cordial to frosty overnight. We sniped at each other over the smallest things. When she was younger, Mary had quite an overbearing personality. It was clear I was unable to do anything right, or rather, in a way that suited Mary. I folded Cody's clothes incorrectly. I bought the wrong dish soap and put away the dishes in the wrong places. I learned never, ever to fold Mary's laundry for her, but to leave it in the dryer long after the buzzer signaled that it was done. She made it clear that I was disrupting her household. I was raised in a family that believed in keeping the water smooth. I'm a pleaser. I was raised to be non-confrontational, so I caved to Mary on all fronts. Many, many times I wanted to tell her off, give her a piece of my mind, but I just buttoned my lip and did the thi- and did things her way as best I could. I never felt as if the house was mine in any way. I kept my bedroom as much as possible. We were all so young then and new to this principle in both theory and practice. I know now that our experience is by no mean unusual no means unusual for young plural families and that the first year of living the principle is far and away the most difficult. Many couples do not press past this year, but divorce was never a question for us. We were committed to the lifestyle as difficult and stressful as it may have been. Our main problem was that we all lived underneath one roof, which never allowed me sufficient alone time with Cody. Cody didn't know how to behave as my husband in Mary's house. When we watched a movie together at night, Cody and Mary would sit together on the couch while I felt left out in the cold. So I learned to separate myself. I began to physically distance myself as much as I could in our very small three-bedroom mobile home. I didn't spend much time in the common areas, instead setting up in my bedroom as a living space. Cody was gone at his sales job from 6.30 in the morning until 10.30 at night, six days a week, which made me even more uncomfortable. I would spend time at work, go out to spend time at the family ranch, and then come home and go straight to my room. 
I continued to pursue my study of Native American arts and crafts and wild plant herbology. <laughs> I continued to study my... I, <laughs> I continued to pursue my study of Native American arts and crafts and wild plant herbology, both of which were easier to undertake in the rural environment of the family ranch. My mother and Cody's father lived only half an hour away, so I spent as much time as I could up there. I threw myself into life on the ranch, helping out as much as I could. Working outdoors helped me create an identity for myself outside of the family that I had just joined. It allowed me to clear my head and regain some sense of self. Mary and I were stuck at home with our disagreements far too often in the first years after I joined the family. We rarely spoke to each other, but we tolerated each other. We were like roommates who didn't get along but managed to live together all the same. This was not the celestial plural marriage I'd imagined. It was uncomfortable and disheartening. Often Cody would take Mary with him when he worked out of state, which made me very resentful of her. I couldn't just take off from work as she seemed able to do. But when Mary didn't work, she didn't get paid. I thought it was extremely flaky to blow off work for fun like that, especially when we were so broke. Some of the family clucked their tongues when they saw Cody and Mary drive off on Sunday night after dinner at the ranch, leaving me to go home alone to our house in Powell. I was left at home in an unfamiliar small town in Wyoming, far away from most of the people I knew. This was the first time in my life I'd lived anywhere without many relatives or friends nearby. It was terribly bleak. It was a terribly bleak time for me. My mother, of course, lived on the ranch where I spent a lot of time. She was the only person I could rely on during this difficult phase. While we were able to commiserate a decent amount, she was also going through her own adjustment period. Like me, she was new to polygamy and didn't have all or even any of the answers about how things should be and how they should work. Adjusting to any marriage, let alone a plural one, is an incredibly individual experience, and it is all-encompassing. Your entire worldview and your entire cultural, personal, and religious awareness goes through a radical upheaval. You barely have time to worry about what's going on in the outside world. I found that I had so much work readjusting my own parameters and shifting my own perspectives that I didn't think too much about my mother's parallel experiences. While I was aware that my mother was involved in many of the same personal and emotional struggles as I was, we didn't discuss them often. We supported each other and were available to each other, but we never explored the depths of our conversion together. We were both too wrapped up in our own transitions to examine these things as a team. Even though my mother and I never discussed our initial experiences with polygamy with one another, it was comforting to have her within driving distance. When I moved to Powell from Utah to marry Cody, I hadn't simply left all my friends and family behind, but I'd also alienated many of them by accepting polygamy. My sister and her husband tried to intervene and pull me back into the LDS faith. Some of, other, some of my other family members even went so far as to stage a small-scale intervention to reconvert me, or as they sought, save me. When I was eight months pregnant with Logan, Cody, Christine, and I visited Salt Lake. I took the opportunity to see some of my relatives. Cody and Christine had dropped me off at my relative's house, so I was without a car until they returned. I guess my family decided to take advantage of the fact that I was a captive audience until Cody got back. They cornered me in the living room and began hurling Mormon scripture at me. They told me that what I was doing by living with Cody, they didn't recognize our marriage, was wrong. They said I was giving up my blessings. I was furious and hurt. Eventually, I disengaged myself from them and told them they could go hang it in their ears. I ran upstairs and waited for Cody and Christine to return. Many of my other relatives, such as my maternal grandfather, never forgave me and did not speak to me again. Over time, I've rebuilt many of these relationships, but those first years when I was new to the principal, losing my family really hurt. At least I still had my mother for support. 
She was by my side at our family gatherings, which made me feel as if I was not entirely shunned. Normally, I would have turned to my career as an outlet to bolster my self-confidence. But when I married Cody, I'd been forced to quit my stable job in Utah and move to Wyoming, a small town with few employment opportunities. While I did manage to find a job, I felt that I had wandered far off course from my career goals. About six months after marrying Cody, I discovered that I was pregnant. Naturally, I was thrilled. I had something of my own, something that would, at least in part, make me feel as if an I was an important member of the Brown family. Even though I hadn't managed to figure out who I was and how I fit into the family I had joined, I was proud to be bringing the first child into our world. I knew it would be uncomfortable telling Mary that I was pregnant. She had been unable to conceive after three years of marriage. However, I have to say that I didn't care how she felt about my news. If it upset, if, if it upset her, so be it. Things were incredibly tough in our relationship, so her feelings were of little importance to me at that moment. Cody, of course, was beyond excited at the thought of becoming a father. But our happiness did little to smooth over the tensions in the household. During my pregnancy, relations between Mary and me reached an all-time low. I was physically exhausted and sick, which weakened my ability to put up with Mary's snide remarks and jabs. While she never overtly made me feel unwelcome in the house, I rarely ventured out into the rest of the home. I felt completely disenfranchised, even though I was carrying Cody's child. Just before one of those trips when I was being left behind once more, my pregnancy hormones were making me feel especially vulnerable. Cody had taken a new job blogging on a mountain, and I was upset to learn that he was again taking Mary with him. Mary took advantage of the situation to be exceptionally brutal. One of my friends and I had experimented with my makeup. As I was crying that I was being left behind, Mary began to ridicule the makeup I was wearing. This was the final straw after all the passive-aggressive behavior and snide remarks I had been dealing with for so many months. I completely lost it. I felt as, I was, as if I were on the verge of having a complete nervous breakdown. Cody was on his way out the door when I stopped him. There were tears running down my face. I just need to know that you love me, I said. A strange expression across Cody's face. I, a strange expression spread across Cody's face. I felt as if he were going to laugh, not out of cruelty, but out of relief. I, of course I love you, he said. That's all I needed to hear, I told him. That's it? Cody said. That's all I needed to say? I managed to nod through my tears. The smallest things make the greatest difference. But we were all so young, and we had taken on so much. Cody had a lot of learning to do. He was still a naive 25-year-old. His mother... His father, Mary's parents, and my mom were giving him advice from all sides. But ultimately, Cody would have to listen to himself and to his wives to achieve his own emotional maturity and understanding. Right before I gave birth to Logan, Cody began courting and then married Christine. I was so committed to the principle that it didn't occur to me to be jealous. In fact, I was really excited at the prospect of having a wife in the family besides Mary and me. I suspected that Christine's arrival would take a lot of Mary's focus off me. Get me out of the line of fire, if you will. During their brief courtship, I was heavily pregnant, so I didn't have a lot of time or energy to worry about a new sister-wife. I didn't know Christine as well as Mary did, but she seemed nice and sweet, if a little naive. It was clear to me that Christine just didn't want a relationship with Cody, she wanted to join our family, which made me happy. It seemed like she would be a good fit with us. I expected we would be better friends than Mary and I were, and I looked forward to that. Christine joined the family only a few months before Logan was born. She and I had our differences, but nothing serious. At first, Christine came across as something as, as, as something of a little princess. I was baffled by the fact that Christine didn't believe she needed to work in order to contribute to the family. 
It's funny to say these things now, because over the years, Christine has morphed into the cornerstone of our family's stability and has worked tirelessly for years. Back then, however, she had little experience living apart from her parents and was clueless about many practical things. Initially, this grated on me. Despite these minor misgivings, Christine was a boon to our family. Almost overnight, the atmosphere in the house changed. Christine took Mary's focus off of me and some of the tension started to evaporate. Christine had grown up in the principle, so she knew the joys and the pitfalls of plural marriage. She was incredibly cheerful and energetic and she saw the world through rose-colored glasses. Her sunny disposition was the perfect antidote to the sour environment that had prevailed in our house for too long. As Cody likes to say, Christine saved our bacon. After a few months, Christine and Mary developed a camaraderie that allowed Mary to forget her grievances against me. I was able to take care of my baby and continue working. While Christine got her own apartment a few months after she and Cody were married, I still lived in the house like a roommate, but a lot of Mary's energy, both negative and positive, had been diverted to Christine. Unlike Mary, who knew Christine from years back, I had no history with her. Once the d dust settled between my sister wives, they were able to put aside those petty initial those initial petty jealousies that crop up at the beginning of almost any plural marriage they spent a lot of time together they had their own friendship which i wasn't a part of they would run to the store together or go off on small adventures i felt as if i was being purposefully excluded i have always been overly sensitive to exclusion even if i didn't want to be part of the activity i was being left out of most of the time, when Mary and Christine were going off to do their own thing, I wouldn't have wanted to go on account of Logan. However, the simple fact that I wasn't being invited abraded me. Groups of three women are often difficult. Someone always feels as if she is getting shortchanged, even if it's all in her imagination. Initially, when Christine joined the family, this person was me. Once the bond between Christine and Mary was cemented, Mary was much less difficult to get along with. Our lives became more peaceful. I got a decent job at a government agency with good pay and started to feel a little more confident about my career path. While Cody and I hadn't eased into what most people would consider a conventional marriage, one based on romantic love, we had developed a highly functional relationship. We communicated well with each other and we complimented each other on an intellectual level. Not long after I had Logan, Christine and Mary each bore their first children, Aspen and Mariah. We started off on the greatest adventure of our lives, parenting an ever-growing brood of wonderful kids. A greater sense of camaraderie sprung out of, our, out of raising our children together. Becoming parents as one family became the most essential part of our lives and the most defining trait of our family life. I think that when Christine and Mary had their first children, they began to understand me a little better. After I had Logan and before my sister wives had kids of their own, they didn't understand while I was tired so much of the time. They didn't understand my priorities. They thought I was complaining too much about trivial things such as not having time to shower, do the dishes, or run errands. However, once their children were born, they were able to emphasize with the challenges of motherhood and how having a child can complicate the simplest things. Once they grasped this, they were more willing to help me out. We were able to lean on one another and help to accomplish little tasks that motherhood makes difficult. Cleaning, errands, talking on the phone, and peace. For the most part, Mary, Christine, and I were able to put aside our differences and create a warm and stable environment for our kids. We raised them as one family. While they may have separate mothers, they do not think of themselves as anything other than full siblings. I loved co-parenting our kids. I was able to work while Mary and Christine homeschooled the children who we hadn't sent to our church school. I felt safe and secure knowing that while I was out at the office, my children were receiving precisely the education and the care I wished for them. I never worried when my children were out of my sight. I trusted Mary and Christine to handle every situation and to make all parental decisions in my absence. In this regard, we were one team.
I didn't have to be called on whether to administer cold medicine or not. I did not have to be called when Logan hit another one of the children. Christine and Mary handled it in the way I knew that they want. They, uh, they. <laughs> Christine and Mary handled it the way they knew I want, would want it handled. It was lovely. When he was little, Logan was a daredevil. He got into everything. He was fearless. One afternoon, Mary had heated up some syrup and placed it in a pitcher on the counter. It was far out of the reach of any of our children. Somehow, Logan managed to rig up a contraption that made, made from several chairs which he climbed up to get his hands on the pitcher. He was too small to lift the pitcher and brought it crashing down on his head. The syrup scalded his forehead. Mary knew exactly what to do to minimize the burn. By the time I got home from work, there was only a small mark on Logan's face. When you have as many kids as we do, these small traumas are not at all uncommon. Most of the time, when one of my kids got injured, I wouldn't find out about it until I got home from the office. By then, everything would have been taken care of by my sister wives. Whichever child had been hurt would be soothed, and the accident was already a fading memory. My co-workers, most of whom didn't know I was polygamous, never understood why I was able to work late at a moment's notice. I was always at a loss to explain why I was so flexible regarding my home life. They didn't understand why I was never stressed about daycare and grocery shopping, playdates and doctor's appointments for my kids. They couldn't figure out why I didn't need to rush home and fix dinner, or why I never ever discussed what I was cooking. My co-workers thought I had the easiest life imaginable. Some of them even wondered if I was secretly wealthy, if you can imagine that. I didn't explain my situation, but I did hint that I had the best babysitters in the entire world. From the day they were born, my children entered a rich, thriving environment with various outlooks to color the way they see and appreciate the world. For all of their lives, they have had the benefit of four, now five, parents who expose them to a wide range of different interests, talents, and opinions. I know it is a cliché to say it, but it does truly take a village to raise a child, and my children have grown up in the best town in America. I'm not good at arts and crafts, and my cooking and baking skills are not anything to boast about. As always, I prefer to lose myself in my work. So when my major contribution to the family is financial and practical. Thankfully, my kids never suffered from having a mother who can't sew or bake. There are three other wonderful mothers in their lives who are creative and talented in areas in which I'm not, so my children never go without amazing Easter outfits or Halloween costumes. They celebrate Halloween? Hmm. If a birthday party were left up to me, I'd rush off to the supermarket on my way home from work and pick up a sheet cake with greasy blue roses. Thankfully, I have Christine in my family, who usually jumps at the chance to make something homemade. Even though Christine is extremely creative and generous with her time around the house, a lot of the time she flies by the seat of her pants. She's so carefree and silly that she can often overlook the most basic details, such as the need to put gas in the car. I, on the other hand, am a worrier and a planner. I make my sister wives crazy with my plans and my contingency plans and my contingency contingency plans. Although these differences do lead to conflicts, they make our household a fun, dynamic place. Even though I clash with Mary and Christine from time to time, I'm thrilled that my kids have had the benefit of both of their personalities. If they had grown up with just me, there would be so many things to which I wouldn't have exposed them. My sister wives have provided my kids with a wealth of experience, and they have helped me create six wonderful, well-rounded children. About five years into our marriage, after Christine had joined the family and things had settled down somewhat, Cody began to mature emotionally. <laughs> This change had a lot to do with the fact that Cody started taking charge of his own decisions. When Cody was new to polygamy, he often sought the counsel of elders who had grown up in the faith and now had plural families of their own. Among those he turned to guidance, among those 
he turned to for guidance were the members of Mary's family. Obviously, learning from those familiar with the faith and principle was crucial to Cody's development. However, no two families or situations are alike. Eventually, Cody had garnered enough guidance from outsiders. When he began to rely on what was in his heart instead of primarily on the guidance of others, his emotional maturity began to show. He began to make decisions confidently, and he asserted that what he wanted instead of what others told him to want. When this happened, he became a stronger leader in our household. He developed the confidence to take charge and stand on his own two feet. While he still had a lot of responsibility with three wives and many little kids, he had grown into a profound sensitivity and consideration the likes of which I've never seen in any other man. I guess having three wives and many children taught him how to communicate with us in clear and loving ways, and he discovered how to devote himself to each of his marriages. He burst out of the fog in which he'd been wandering during those first tumultuous years and became the, became the most sensitive and caring husband and parent I could have thought possible. Without his maturation, our lives as one cohesive and coherent family would never have become what they are today. Although Cody had matured significantly and was no longer the naive, spontaneous romantic... Uh, what? Although Cody had matured significantly and was no longer the naive, spontaneous romantic with such a large family, we still had trouble making ends meet. For much of the first decade of my marriage, I lived with either Christine or Mary. Our house was crowded and paying the bills was always a challenge. We never had enough money no matter how hard we worked. This was the main point of contention in any argument I had with Cody. That, and we were practically on top of one another in our small house. There wasn't any room to breathe or think. Cody did the best he could, and I never once doubted his commitment to me or our children. Whenever I expressed my grievances, Cody would always remind me, I'm committed. I'm not going anywhere. I knew he never would. He was the one and only stalwart of my life and the best and most hands-on father I'd ever seen. During the eighth year of our marriage, I gave birth to my fifth child, Gabriel. Afterward, I sank into a horrible postpartum depression. I felt overwhelmed by having had so many children in quick succession and felt seriously depressed at our lack of financial means. I knew I was miserable, but I had no idea how to fix the situation. I also had a particularly nasty fight with Mary, one of the worst we'd ever had. I was at my breaking point. I couldn't see my way out of my depression. I told Cody that I was leaving. That night, I got in the car and drove to my mother's house. The next morning, Cody picked me up to run errands with him. While we were driving, he nonchalantly asked me, nonchalantly asked me, So, are you better now? His failure to understand how low I was felt like a slap in the face. Part of me wanted to scream and part of me wanted to laugh at his ignorance and his hopefulness that everything had become better overnight. That afternoon, I bundled all the kids into the car and took them to my mom's. I had reached rock bottom. Until this point, the majority of my struggles within my family arose from sharing a single living space. For several years, I had had the means to move out and in my, into my own place if I'd been willing to turn my back on contributing financially to the family, but I wasn't. When we all came into the principal, we all looked down on plural families that didn't live together. We believed that living as a unit made us stronger and allowed us to achieve necessary personal and spiritual growth quicker. As we saw it, living under one roof was the only way to do things. We had swallowed this ideal completely. So despite my struggles within the family, I was unable to I was unwilling to give up on this vision that I had held on to since I accepted polygamy. However, after that fight with Mary, I'd had enough. My kids and I stayed with my mother for several months until I found my own place. My job paid a decent salary, which allowed me to buy a better car in addition to my own home. I started to build a, uh, started to build a life for myself apart from the sisterhood. I wanted my identity as an individual apart from the family, and to achieve that, I needed my own house. I also knew that if I left our share space, I wouldn't be leaving the marriage or the family. Cody would have done anything he had to in order to keep us all connected, in one house or many. 
Soon after I got my own house, I made one of the most important decisions of my life. I went back to school and got a degree in accounting. Getting a degree changed my world. I didn't realize how badly I'd wanted something like this. I felt personally and intellectually fulfilled. I was also certain that my career would thrive. This sense that I was taking control of my life and my future gave me invaluable self-confidence. While I was living on my own, I was in no way cut off from the family. After a while, Cody began staying at my house on our nights together. I was also determined that my children should not feel separated from their siblings. During the day, I would drive them nearly 30 miles to Christine and Mary, who would provide daycare and homeschooling. On the weekend, we would get together for family meals. Yet the separation did wonders for me. I was able to run my household as I wanted, not as my sister wives suggested. Before marrying Cody, I'd always done the dishes in the morning, leaving my evenings free for relaxation. This habit, which in my mind is certainly not a bad one, drove my sister wives crazy. They insisted that I clean up at night, which irked me. Things like this may seem trivial, but over the years, small differences can really fester and come to stand for larger issues. But now, on my own, I didn't have to worry about what anyone else thought. I could leave the dishes in the sink overnight as I liked. I could do things as they pleased me. In addition to being able to indulge my housekeeping habits, having my own place allowed me to focus on work and on school. And perhaps because I was so busy, I didn't have time to think about the petty stuff that was the source of so many of my earlier grievances with Mary. We moved on. Mary, Christine, and I each had our own home. We had our own kitchens, always a major source of strife, and we could live as we liked without interference or comment from the others. My happiness and independence allowed Cody and me to enter a new phase in our relationship. I know it sounds silly to say, but after 10 years of marriage, we finally had the time to get to know each other on a more spiritual and intimate level, and to enjoy our moments alone. We became parents so soon into our marriage that we rarely had time to ourselves. When we finally did, it was refreshing and reassuring. I felt that my marriage was stronger than ever. Two years after I had established myself in my own house, Cody told me he was moving the family to Utah. He had found a job for which he wouldn't have to travel. He would be home with his kids every night. Okay, I told him. See you later. No way was I going to give up the peace and independence I had found. I had a great job. I had a great house. I wasn't leaving and most of all I wasn't going to live with my sister wives under one roof again. I worried about what would happen if we all lived together once more. I was stubborn. I stood my ground for almost a year, but soon I started to miss the family, and I knew that my children really missed living closer to their siblings. As I was coming to this realization, Cody told me something that completely changed my mind regarding the house to Utah. The move to Utah. He had found a house, a big house, with three separate apartments, each with its own living quarters. Kitchen, living room, and bedrooms. The house had seven bathrooms. It was a polygamous family's dreams. This was all I needed to know. My kids could be reunited with their siblings on a permanent basis. I would be close to the family, yet still have my own space. Space. <laughs> I was delighted by this development. I had been alone for months and I could no longer deny that I was incredibly lonely. I missed my family. I missed the everyday interactions, the liveliness, and the chaos. The fact that we could all live together yet maintain separate living quarters felt like a dream come true, and it all turned out to be just that. The big house changed everything. We were able to be together as a family in a natural and relaxed way. I had my own space, but my children had their siblings and the other mothers in the same building. Most important, Cody was going to be home all the time. From the day Logan, our first child, was born, Cody has shown himself to be the best father any child could have hoped for. Now, with the new house and his new job, he had the opportunity to see all of his kids on a daily basis. It was magical.
The new phase that Cody and I had embarked upon when I moved into my own house only grew sweeter in the big house. I had been so overrun with kids, my job, and my schooling that I never allowed myself to be emotionally vulnerable to him. Throughout the first years of our relationship, especially when I was feeling unsure of my place in the family, I was determined to prove my self-sufficiency. When I first met Cody, love was only about an intellectual connection and a friendship. I wanted a practical relationship that would provide a happy, stable environment for my children. That was enough for me. I am low maintenance when it comes to all things romantic. I prefer a good conversation and an afternoon spent together in a bookstore than all the hand-holding and sappy sweet talk in the world. Nevertheless, I have a husband who is unbelievably sensitive to my needs and wants. He is intimately engaged with his children. He is the most logical, loving parent I have ever seen. So I'd luck into the most romantic thing I could have ever dreamed of, an ideal parent with whom I also have an intellectual connection. In the big house, I started to let my guard down and show Cody my more sensitive side. I felt confident in my place in the family, yet I had my own personal space. I have always been wary of being emotionally vulnerable. Because I'm afraid of being hurt, I throw up a wall and resist letting people in. In the big house, however, I found myself able to let him know when something was bothering me. I allowed myself to let him see when I was hurting and to help me if I needed it. Cody and I have forged a life together from a strange and distant beginning. We continued to evolve as, as a couple, exploring a more tender and romantic side to our relationship. In many ways, you could say our love, love story is just beginning. My relationship with Cody wasn't the only relationship that benefited from our move into the big house. Once I, once I finished school and rediscovered my self-esteem, I stopped taking others' criticism of me so seriously. I had to learn that I wasn't going to let anyone tell me how I should act, what I should do, or how I should behave. And once I stopped listening to everyone else's voices in my head, I began to relax around my sister-wives. We came to a mutual understanding and collective respect for our similarities and differences. We'd done so much growing up together, and like real sisters, we can look back on our collective struggles, our major arguments and silly squabbles, and if not laugh at them, at least shrug them off. Now we can't even remember what half of the fights were about. We'd share, we've shared so much and have been th through a lot that, with a word or a signal, we can remind one another of an entire experience or story. We are bonded by our emotional history as well as our collective experiences. Our life together is still a day-by-day -day process. Every day we all have to check our natural reactions to things and temper them. We have to be careful not to say things to one another in a hurtful manner. Every decision we make has to be grounded in what is best for the entire family as a whole. It's complicated, but it's worth it because we've created something rich and intricate. If I were to lose one of my sister wives or one of her children, I would feel as if I had lost a limb. Although Mary, Christine and I are very different in our natures, we have grown to share the same values. The family we have now is an amalgam of each of our individual habits. We have all contributed something to the way our family runs. My sister wives have influenced the way I see the world and I have done the same for them. Some of these changes are moral. We are, among our culture, considered fairly open-minded, almost liberal. And some of these changes are practical. For instance, if one of my sister wives prefers to feed her kids at seven and the other at five, we'll adopt six as our dinner time. By adapting to and adopting one another's traits, we've developed our own culture. One of the things I had to work on once I moved into the big house with my sister wives was not falling into the pitfall of comparing my relationship with Cody's to theirs. Comparison is the death of plural marriage. It leads to debilitating unhappiness. For instance, if I see that one of my sister wives has apples, my instinct is, my instinct is to say that I want apples, even if what I really want is oranges. I have to be true to myself and admit that what I want and not simply want something because my sister wife's my sister wife has it. I can't regress and say Cody, you love her more because you give her apples and I don't have apples. 
Our marriages are individual and we don't want or need the same things. But awareness of what someone else has in her relationship can cause you to question yours. And this is where the danger lies. Cody is tender with each of us in different ways. He has different methods of expressing his love. Maybe he leaves notes for one wife, sweet voicemails for another. Or maybe the way of showing his love is by always putting someone's kids to bed. These differences are vital to our lives. They are what make each of our marriages unique and special. Somehow, after 16 years, we had finally arrived at the ideal I'd envisioned when I accepted the principle. I was part of a happy, thriving family. We were able to make decisions as a group with a minimum of strife and bruised feelings. We had found our groove. I didn't think that anything could disrupt our flow. I was fairly surprised when Cody came to me one afternoon and told me he was thinking about courting Robin, but the way he handled it left me in awe of his emotional growth. He had learned so much from all the years with Mary, Christine, and me. When Cody began to court Robin, it became clear to me that he finally empathized with the difficulty I'd have coming into the family. He showed that he'd learned from my struggles and was very careful about how he integrated Robin into our lives. He allowed her ample time to get to know each wife and all of our children individually. When they were getting to know each other before they'd been given permission to court, Cody would bring one of the wives or several of the children down to St. George in southern Utah to spend a weekend with Robin. In doing so, he made sure Robin felt as if she was going to be an important part of our family, and he also let the family know that they were still as important as they had been before Robin came into the picture. He was very protective of Robin, so that when they eventually married, she would feel as if she'd already belonged to our in our midst. Cody and Robin's courtship coincided with a huge development in our lives. After careful consideration and endless family discussions, we decided to participate in a reality TV show about our family. This decision wasn't without complications. After all, there can be consequences when polygamists go public. But these unfamiliar waters certainly complicated Robin's entry into the family. It drew out her courtship with Cody and forced the wedding to be put off for a few extra months. I was completely fine with Robin and Cody's courtship. It wasn't until after they got married that I started to struggle. It's hard to reconfigure your life, your needs, and your children's needs with a new wife in the picture. My mother explains this adjustment in a clever way. She says that wives are like spokes in a wheel. They keep the wheel balanced, grounded, and strong. When a new wife comes in, you all need to move over. It's an uncomfortable adjustment at first, but when you get your groove back, you're stronger because of it. Robin brought three children into the family, which was an exciting change. We decided that a good way to integrate our families was to enroll our kids, many of whom had been homeschooled, into a public school along with Robin's kids. There are, of course, some parenting differences between the way we raised our children before Robin arrived and the way that Robin brought her kids up. Since Mary, Christine, and I had so many children, we didn't have the time or the space to baby them. If something didn't go their way, tough. Get up, brush yourself off, get on into the next in get on into the next thing. We're not catering to you. Robin coddles her children more, which is certainly understandable given their previously tumultuous home life. So we are learning from her and she is learning from us. This, like many things in our household, is a work in progress. The most important thing Robin has taught us is is how to argue in a more effective and polite manner. With such a chaotic household, there are going to be a lot of family discussions. Sometimes these can become heated and they blow up. Before Robin came into the family, our arguments would of often end unresolved with raised voices and slammed doors. Frequently, we were all worse off after a family discussion than before. So from time to time, it seemed worthless to discuss anything at all. Early on in their relationship, Cody and Robin got into an argument. However, through example, Robin showed him how to take the time to talk a problem out and not walk away from it before a comfortable resolution has been reached. These days, it is often Robin who takes the lead in our family discussions. She keeps a cool head and navigates us through difficult waters. She never lets us leave the room until we've settled an issue. 
Thanks to Robin, we are able to avoid bruised feelings and the long periods of unhappiness that used to follow our family talks. Even though Robin brought so much into our family, during the few months after she arrived, excuse me, even though Robin brought so much into our family, during the few months after she married Cody, I felt as if I were wearing shoes on the wrong feet. Our rhythm was disrupted, and I'm afraid we were all a little brutal on her. Robin went out of her way to extend olive branches to me. She'd offered to help me with the kids' homework on crazy days. She would pick up little trinkets or knickknacks that symbolized our family and offer them as a just-because gift. Robin collects Christmas ornaments, and her first Christmas with the family, she se selected unique or ornaments to give to each of us. Regardless of Robin's efforts, during the first year, I was unwilling to accept her offers. I was settled in my ways and not open to anything new. Despite my spiritual witness, I found myself kicking and kicking against opening myself up to Robin. I was certain she and Cody were destined to be together and that she was an essential part of our family, but I found myself unwilling to make the effort to build a bridge between us. As I learned during my initial months in the principal, just because something appears celestial, celestially destined doesn't make it easy. When Robin joined the family, I was very busy with my kids and my job. I was hard-headed and believed that I didn't have time or need for this new person. I imagined Robin and I could live as if we were riding in, I imagined Robin and I could live as if we were riding in the same car but looking out separate windows. I had worked hard to find equilibrium with Christine and Mary, and the three of us had formed our own sort of partnership. As far as bringing Robin into the family, I didn't have any reservations. I just hadn't committed to the necessary emotional and practical work involved. I wasn't sure that I needed or wanted to make room for a new person in my life, despite the fact that I felt spiritually convinced she should marry Cody. But after a while, I got tired of fighting against Robin and the potential friendship between us. I finally understood how helpful she had been in teaching our family how to communicate better. I realized that I was looking for a way to punish Cody and Robin for disrupting my life, and it took way too much time and energy to be angry with this woman who was trying so hard to open up to me. So I started letting her in. We still have a long way to go, but we've begun the journey. I am already starting to see the benefit of developing a relationship with Robin. Before Cody told me he had met Robin and wanted to court her, I never had any vision of her as part of our lives. I was satisfied with our adult unit of four. I never saw her coming. Yet when Cody mentioned her for the first time, I felt spiritually moved. Now that she's here, it seems as if she was always meant to be here. Robin possesses an amazing amount of emotional maturity. One of the things she has helped us with in our family is pointing out areas in which all of the mari marriages need solidifying. She has helped Cody realize where he may be inadvertently shortchanging one of his other relationships. This, in turn, has given Cody the tools to explain to me that we need to demonstrate more warmth and affection in our marriage. I'm learning to be less pragmatic about love and more romantic, even if it's something as simple as not dashing out the door in the morning before Cody and I have had a goodbye hug. Over the years, Cody and I fell into the unfortunate habit of letting family businesses and finances dominate our alone time. These became the only things we ever talked about. Since I'm completely work-oriented, it didn't seem strange to me to discuss business matters on our dates. The fallout of this was that eventually Cody and I stopped talking to each other as husband and wife. Instead, we interacted like business partners. We'd forgotten about the sweeter side of our marriage. Something was clearly wrong. We both understood we needed to make a change. I recognized that I needed to change my tone with him and relearn how to talk sweet sweetly and lovingly. I began to understand that I could have a more profound, caring, and emotional relationship with my husband if we put aside all the business chatter during our evenings together. Once I started doing this, I discovered that there is an unlimited potential to enrich our relationship. As a result, our marriage has grown deeper and more caring than I'd ever imagined it could be, or even knew that I wanted it to be. 
just like Cody and my additional, what? Just like Cody's and my individual relationship, our entire family is still evolving. We are learning more about one another every day. This is the beauty of the principle. It demands you never stop working on yourself in order to be the best person you can be on this earth. There is no room for complacency. Naturally, there are bad days. There are times when I've said to my sister-wives in the middle of a fight, I would never be friends with you, ever. If it were possible, I'd hate you. But I don't hate them, not at all. You don't pick your sister, you don't pick your sisters. Sometimes you get along with your sisters and sometimes you want to kill them. But deep down, you always love them. Always. Well, there it was. That was chapter six of Becoming Sister Wives, the story of an unconventional marriage. And honestly, what an unconventional marriage it truly is. Uh, definitely very interesting to get the uh, other perspective of the Mary and Janelle beef in the early years. Um, I, you know, I don't know who I am. I'd love, you know what, you guys let me know. Are you guys hashtag Team Janelle or Team Mary? Um, I think I'm leaning a little more uh team Janelle in this one. She definitely seems to have some real bad bitch feminist girl boss uh, energy here with up and, you know, getting her own career, going to school, buying her own house and her own car away from the rest of that family. That's definitely interesting. Um, you know, this Janelle does seem a little different than the Janelle we're currently seeing on television, but um, I really did enjoy hearing about how she kind of took charge of her own life there for a little while. You know, good for her. Um, so, you know, next time we will be uh, tackling Chapter 7, which is Christine's story. Um, until then, as always, rate, review, subscribe, follow us on Instagram at Becoming Sister Wives Pod. Um, and I hope you all have a great day. Bye-bye. <laughs>